again before we get into this week's episode just want to go over some house rules uh, if you're watching us on YouTube thank you so much but be sure to like and subscribe maybe even hit that notification like, bell like like the algorithm hates our content half of our podcast is demonetized words so if you'd like to share our podcast please do but if you'd like to help us out do like the video it makes it the biggest difference if you're listening to Spotify or Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts Hit a like on there. Hit a follow on there. Did realize that's now an option. Yeah. Um, and if you're reading this through the mail, I don't know how you pulled that off, but good on you. Uh, we also have Twitter, Instagram, and a Patreon if you want to support us in different ways. And thank you so much for joining us again. Enjoy the show, guys. Welcome back to the Acid Cat Spirit Hour. I'm the Colonel. This is my son, Caleb. Uh, we're having a good week. It really does not feel like it's been a week since the last podcast. I said to you earlier today that it felt like we missed one. Yeah. It just feels like it's been a long week. Yeah. Uh, if you guys didn't see last week's episode, uh, we had some friends of the show on. We had Brittany and Brian from Switching to Game Chat. So good. Uh, go check out that episode. Go check out their podcast. It's great. Um, we were on their episode as well. That just dropped last Friday. We brought our own ghost. We did. Yeah. We did. Uh, about exactly at the hour mark, you can hear us have a weird phenomenon happen. Yeah. Well, they wanted to come to our haunted space attic, so joke's on them. You come uh, through the portal, stuff gets weird. But yeah, I was just talking to them a couple days after they left, and it was like it felt like a month since I've seen them. Yeah. It was three days. I think it's... It, but then you look, and it's already you know May. We're yeah. already halfway through 2021. We really are. I wonder when 2020 is going to end. <laughs> Well, we wanted to talk uh, a little bit about distrust, not to talk about 2020 in that way yeah. too much. Uh, but today we wanted to talk, uh, today's a mystery, but it's a mystery, it's not a, an unsolved mystery, I guess, but there's a lot of mystery around it. And more importantly, I wanted to talk about it because it's a case that really, I think, uh, was very formative in the distrust that most Americans have towards the government as a like greater they entity. So yeah. the CIA, we're going to talk about the CIA a lot today. CIA. We're going to talk about the DEA. Uh, and that's because we're going to talk about uh, the Louisiana cocaine cowboy himself. We're going to talk about Barry Seal today. Oh, Barry Seal. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the mystery comes from the fact that a lot of this stuff is speculation. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Because well, because it just, has to be. It has to be. It's not declassified. Like, well, and when we're talking with the CIA and the DEA, it's not declassified. But when you're talking about the Medellin and Ochoa cartels, there's no declassification that happens there. <laughs> yeah, those. Th there's no debriefs in the in a cartel. I I assume. Uh, speaking of debriefs, uh, quick shout out to one of our loyal listeners, my friend Clayton. Uh, just got debriefed. He's back home from working. Um, so he went from D.C. back to Ohio. So welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Uh, <laughs> we I just don't know. live in Ohio, to be clear, but welcome back to Ohio. <laughs> um, we're floating over Ohio right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
No, the reason he just sent me a message just the other day that he had to go through debriefing. Oh, man. So. Yeah. Well, good on you. <laughs> yeah. So, Barry Seal, would you like to talk? Would you like to open this up, Caleb? Would you like to tell him how he grew up? So, Barry Seal was born uh, July 16th of 1939 uh, to a father who. I put this in just because I thought it was really funny. We weren't going to talk about it. No, 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 no. Uh, he was a candy wholesaler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not the other thing. Don't Google his dad. You don't need to know what else he His did. dad was a candy wholesaler and only a candy wholesaler. And definitely not a member. <laughs> I don't even think I can say it. I no. mean, I know that the podcast gets really heavily. He was in the clan. <laughs> <laughs> he was a ghost cosplayer. It, disgusting. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. It's just we only bring it up because what an odd... He was a candy wholesaler and a professional um, racist. racist. <laughs> I was going to say something worse, but yeah, we'll start with racist. Um, but he was obsessed with planes growing up. Yeah. He like... Bear, again, that was Barry's father. Yes, yeah. that was Barry's father. Barry Seal, the man of the hour, the man yeah. we're talking about, was obsessed with planes growing up and actually took his first solo flight uh, when he was 15. And he made a living by... Uh, you know, you see them in highly populated cities, the small biplanes that are carrying banners. Yeah. You can, like, hire them to do your car dealership, or will some, you marry me? Yeah, there have been or... some funny ones flying over Mar-a-Lago this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that's how he actually made a living when he was younger. He okay. had his own biplane Dude, and did so advertisements. Cool. The it's only so flying fun. I was doing at 15 was over my handlebars. It's so cool. <laughs> the only flying I was doing was jumping out of swings, and I still would go on swings. <laughs> Tons of fun. Um, but in 1955, he joined the Civil Air Patrol, the CAP, in Baton Rouge. And no, cap. <laughs> no it was cap. No it cap. was cap. No, no cap. cap. He no did do it. cap. Um, <laughs> he then um, started training more with them. And actually, when he was in training, uh, he met a fellow cap member might have heard of him, Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier, and I didn't even know this, because it's not immediately relevant to the story we're telling today. Mm -hmm. But it is. It's definitely involved. Yeah. It is for sure, um, especially when we talk about the, like, sort of um, unknown government shenanigans that Barry got into. It is incredibly fascinating that he went to pilot school with him. Yeah. Uh, so, made buddies with Lee Harvey Oswald. If yeah. you don't know who that is, assassinated JFK. <laughs> yeah. We're just um, rolling all the demonetized terms out right away. Yeah. Assassin. The clan. JFK, like the clan. Just, yeah. Candy. Warren Commission. <laughs> Baton Rouge. Uh, and according to... Actually, I'm going to... This is a quick interjection. We're having fun today, so apologize for the tangents. But uh, the only time I've ever been present for like... Uh, well, I guess that's not true. Last summer, obviously, we were all present for a lot of things. But previous to that, the only time I had been in, around um, an instance of uh, anti-police violence was I was going... I was in Baton Rouge a few years ago when there was that shooting. Uh, Somebody called in a fake 911 call. Um, I think it was like when was that 2016 something I like that. So, yeah. yeah, and I was in I was I was in Baton Rouge staying in a hotel just a couple blocks away. I woke up to all of the sirens. It was wild. But sorry, that's just a, that's neither here nor there. It's just kind of a Nichols interesting anecdote <laughs> for the day. Yeah. Um, according to another person that he met uh, in CAP and also in the army, his name was Tosh. Plumley, okay, great name. Um, <laughs> Tosh point zero, which his name comes up later because of something Barry gets into. But Tosh claimed that he Barry began working with the CIA in the mid nineteen fifties. So when he was, I don't know, 
in his late teens, early 20s. Yeah, well, that's why it's kind of a wild... Like, I can understand, we know for a fact that he would work for the CIA later on in life. Mm -hmm. But that's so young to be working for the CIA. I mean, I know that men went to war at, like, 13 or whatever, (laughs) but still. Uh, And this is a quote from Tosh Plumley himself. It says, Barry Seal was involved with military intelligence in the early days. Military intelligence was a real game, with the CIA just acting as logistical people. Barry was a peripheral player back then, but then he was a CIA contract pilot all the way back to 1956 or 57. Interesting. He's like the Winter Soldier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finally got his own show. They they called him. They said, rusted, longing, train car. And he's like, all right. And he put on his flight suit. Uh, robot arm on. So this is when we get into the more... Uh, Speculation. Yeah, yeah. Speculatory is the word I was looking for. I think speculative? And speculatory <laughs> is what I'm going to go with. Um, I'll put that on the screen so everybody knows how to spell it. <laughs> phonetically, speculatory. Uh, definition in the act of speculation. So this is information that I found while we were doing Discovery that we can't prove because it hasn't been declassified, but we have eyewitness uh, accounts both... Tosh Plumley and other people that worked alongside there's Barry. Photos is corroborating evidence. There's photos. Uh, his wife of the time, Deborah, wrote a book that also correlates with the story. So, big allegedly before yeah, all we're this. Put that out there. Don't supposedly, come for allegedly, us. you know, whatever. In 1958, Seal started flying weapons, supposedly, to um, Fidel Castro. Yeah. To fight against uh, Batista, Batista, the Batista regime in Cuba. Yeah. And at the time, this supposedly... Want to watch so out he's, for Red he's doing this a lot because I kind of gave him a hard time at the beginning of this. Only because while the stuff that we'll get into with Sia with his drug smuggling and all that stuff is really wild stuff. And definitely is in line with what we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. My immediate thought is... I know that there's a lot of belief that the CIA, LBJ, were involved in JFK's assassination and the Bay of Pigs and supporting. But it's just, we were spending all of our money to stomp on communism at the time. Yes. It's just such a hard... We have been behind... The CIA's been behind a lot of coups, and they were almost always anti-communist, including ones he would later be involved in. Mm-hmm. So I just find it so odd that they would be supporting Castro. Well, so supposedly he was giving weapons to Castro to fight against Batista... In Cuba. And at the time, the CIA was supporting the overthrowing of Batista. And then the policy changed as soon as Castro took over. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm familiar with the CIA's policy on Castro. Yeah. Yeah, which is where my... Yeah, that's why I I question it a little bit. Because they have never been fans of Mr. Fidel Castro. And then it is said that once Castro took over, SEAL then worked for the CIA to do air attacks on Castro's government. Okay. So, like, he was like, <laughs> that's like helping your buddy get nominated for, like, Homecoming King. And then while he's up on stage being like, that dude pissed his pants. <laughs> like, helping a dude out. And then as soon as he gains power, being like, let's tear him down. Undermining him immediately. I mean, that is kind of the basis of a lot of coups, though. That's how you secure the power. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so, a year later, uh, so this is 1959, uh, he started becoming a CIA pilot in Guatemala. And was supposedly also training um, Cuban exiles to fly as well. Okay. 
uh, in like Florida and Louisiana and stuff like that. Which I will again reiterate that while this is the tallest tale of all of this, uh, this is reflective of stuff he would go on to do later because he did the same thing later on as well. Yes, and at the time he uh, actually ran a couple companies based in Baton Rouge, the Seal Sky Service yeah. and the Aerial Advertising Associates. Um, and they had an office in the International Trade Center. And they were wondering at the time if they were fronts for him training these Cuban exiles and other, um, like, soldiers and stuff yeah, for the, the CIA. The, yeah, the anti-communist movement. After that, he joined what was called Operation 40, which this is some interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, And this was cooperated by Tosh, right? This was cooperated by Tosh. Tosh was also a part. So was Jerry Hemming was also part of it. And um, a author wrote a book about Operation 40. The author's name is Daniel Hopsicker. Okay. Um, but Operation 40 was this special forces team, essentially, that was pilots and assassins and <laughs> ground men. Um, that would just kind of do... There was a pyro. There was a spy. <laughs> there, there was, was a, a heavy. sniper. <laughs> there was a medic. I played this game. <laughs> uh, there was a JPEG of a coconut. <laughs> that will break the whole dang thing. <laughs> Uh, but they were just like, what are we, some sort of suicide squad that would go out and do missions for the CIA and stuff like that. I can't like, wait for James Gunn's version of Operation 40. Uh, and Jerry Hemming told the author of the book, Daniel Hopsicker, this is the quote, which I found was so funny. Yeah, Barry was Op 40. He flew in killer teams inside the island before the invasion to take out Fidel. <laughs> That's so, it's such a, like, I don't know, it's a lot of candor for something that is, uh, A, alleged, and yeah. B, if it did happen, terrible. Yeah. Don't flex about that. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude was sick. <laughs> he would drop in death squads all the time. Didn't matter what country we were illegally invading, he'd just light them up, man. It's a weird flex, but okay. And so that was 1960. Uh, the 1960s is when Operation 40 took place, uh, supposedly again. Um, in 62... Seal joined the 21st Special Forces Group uh, and went to Fort Benning Jump School. So he joined the Army. Yeah. Um, he then joined the 20th Special Forces Airborne. It's it's a weird to go from working for the CIA to joining the Army. So I think it was part of their cover because before, like I said, he was a contract pilot. He yeah. technically for didn't a lot work of his, for the CIA. For a lot of his career, he, he covered working for a uh, commercial pilot too, right? Or was that later on? So that was a little bit later. Okay. okay. Um, well, I'll let you get to that. So he was in the Airborne. His wife was very adamant that he was part of the JFK assassination. Warren Commission. At this time. Warren Commission. So, Every conspiracy comes back to the Warren Commission. The conspiracy <laughs> iceberg should just be the Warren Commission and everything inside of it, regardless of where it happened on this planet or elsewhere. So, like I said, this was 62, so the same year yeah. that JFK was assassinated. He joins the Army. Like I stated previous, when he was in CAP, he yeah. met Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. And his wife stated Barry Seal flew a getaway plane out of Dallas after JFK was killed. This is his wife. So, I'll entertain that 100%. Who was on that plane? LBJ? Maybe? Because most people, that I mean, I would imagine that in that lore, LBJ would be the one, because, you know, he was accused of having hired Lee Harvey Oswald, because yeah. he allegedly hired Jack Ruby as well. Uh, 
because I wonder, I wonder if maybe Oswald was supposed to be able to escape and he didn't make it. Yeah, you know? just got caught up in in the because I mean he facility. got he got killed right away, mm-hmm. right away. I thought he was arrested. He was. He was. Yeah, yeah. But Jack Ruby assassinated him while the police were walking him out of the building. That's right. Yeah. He ran up. There's a very famous photo that we are not going to show, although it wouldn't matter as we've explained, <laughs> of Ruby running up and shooting him in the gut. And there's cops all around him. Yeah. yeah. And that sort of braze, as we're going to get into in the the acts of uh, all of the people involved in this, that brazen attitude is usually emboldened by emboldened <laughs> emboldened by uh, knowing you're not going to get actually in trouble for it. Yeah. You could you'll do a lot of things in broad daylight if you think you're going to get out if you're not going to jail. So after So he helped assassinate JFK. Supposedly, yes. <laughs> uh, and that was in 62, so a couple years passed. Uh, in 64, he joined the 245th Engineer Battalion. Um, and he was there until 1966. That was stationed in St. Louis. Okay. After that, he got a job at the TWA Corporation, which um, was a commercial air flight company. Yeah, Howard Hughes' company. Yes. Yeah. Um, and according to Daniel Hopsicker, the guy that wrote... Um, Operation 40. Well, yeah. The, he also wrote a book about Barry Seal himself. It was called okay. Barry and the Boys. <laughs> uh, Seal became the first youngest... 707 captain and then the youngest captain of a 747 interesting so boeing 707 and 747 tosh claims that while he was working for the twa he was also doing smuggling and that is actually a fact that was corroborated because he got fired from the twa in 1974 for falsely citing medical leave when he was actually out smuggling well a the smuggling, I will say one thing about it. At the time, commercial pilots would, I won't say commonly, because I'm speaking out of turn, but it was, there were more things to casually smuggle at that time, because anything that you wanted from Cuba, this was the beginning of not being able to get stuff from Cuba. Yeah. So pilots coming in through Canada and stuff would very commonly smuggle these things, and the definition of that being kind of loose. Now, what Barry got up to is a very different level of smuggling. Yeah. So, um, in 1972, so this is two years before he got fired, he was um, caught and arrested by U.S. Customs um, for smuggling some things into the country. Like you said, a lot of stuff you couldn't get, so like cigars or alcohol. He was, of course, uh, arrested for smuggling uh, 1,350 pounds of C4. Um, to Cuba via Mexico. That's crazy, too, because that's the 70s. So C4 was relatively modern technology. Those are fancy bombs. He didn't just yeah. have, like... This wasn't a, a rider truck full of fertilizer. He had a real a real operation. Yes. Um, so he was arrested doing that. At the same time, because of his arrest, uh, DC-4 was seized, um, loaded with seven tons of C4. Yeah, that was... Was that his plane? It was a plane for a guy who hired him. Okay. But it was stored in Shreveport. Yes. He's from Louisiana. So yes. Was, yeah. Uh, so it had seven tons of C4, 7,000 feet of primer cord, and 2,600 blasting caps. That's crazy. Um, some of the people that were arrested alongside of him were James Miller, Rich, uh, Richmond Harper, Marlon Hagler, and Murray Kessler. Um, a lot of these people were seen in and around like with him and working with him flying different planes as well. Kessler's partner 
uh, Manny Gambino, which man, what a if you Manny Gambino. <laughs> I wish Italians were real. You know, so that is a, a name you make up when you make up an Italian person. Yeah, uh, was kidnapped around the same time the other guys were arrested. Oh, and his body was later found in a dump in New Jersey. Oh, that's the worst criminal fate. Yeah. Uh, but the DC-4, like you said, it wasn't owned by SEAL. It was owned by James Boy, a known associate of the... Jim, Jimmy Boy. Jimmy Boy. Jimmy, my boy. A known associate of the CIA. And uh, Boy was later known to use his planes and stuff to fly Oliver North's mercenaries in and out of Honduras. Which we'll get to Ollie North and those mercenaries and who was flying those planes. Yes. Spoiler alert, Barry was flying one of those planes. <laughs> Um, and it was actually kind of a sting operation that was set up by Cicero uh, Diosadato, and he was an official with U.S. Customs. Okay. So it was like a weird sting operation to kind of take them all down, but it didn't work. <laughs> so he gets arrested with fucking a thousand, uh, almost one and a half thousand pounds yeah. of C4. A ton of that, or yeah, almost a ton of C4. It and all the blasting caps. And, and all the blasting caps. to go with it. On its way to Cuba. On its way to Cuba to anti-Castro uh, soldiers. It him, takes Him and a bunch of his cat buddies get taken down. Two years to take them to trial. Man. They get all this evidence together. They get all their stories lined up. Two years to the trial. They start the trial in 74. And the government prosecutors don't know what or how things got crossed. But as evidence, they bring out this machine gun. <laughs> this machine gun had nothing to do with any of the charges against any of the defendants. So the judge claims it as a mistrial. Yeah, just dismiss the case. Dis yeah. Dismisses well, the case. Well, yeah, if you have an incorrect admission of ed evidence, especially when that's significant, you're going to have to... That's like kind of the only thing you can do. It's a mistrial. And all of them were released. So, you know, when we you talk about an inability to trust the government, we touched on that at the beginning of the podcast, and... I, you know, Barry Seal, this sort of thing to say for something so frivolous to ruin a case, mm -hmm. your immediate thought has to be there was funny business somewhere along the line. There's yeah. you don't accidentally put a machine gun on the wrong evidence shelf, you know, like that's just not really I don't believe it. I don't buy it. It feels very adulterated. So to me, I can see even now. This is the, you know, this is kind of the back end of his career. This is, we're sort of at the halfway mark. Mm -hmm. And that stuff is half alleged, half confirmed. And, you know, like the Tosh, the guy who wrote, uh, or no. Um, Tosh sorry. is the guy that worked alongside of him. Yeah, it was the Hopskipper, what's his name? Daniel Hopsicker. Yeah, you know, he even corroborated that, that he was, that Seal had been recruited because of working in the Cuba thing. You know, so there's some corroborating evidence. But the stuff going forward is pretty well known like yeah. we have a good idea and all of that i'm saying all of that because it just feels like he got to get out of jail free ticket for being a narc that's what it feels like it feels like yes. they came to him and they were like so you know south america really well right and you've already worked with the cia because he this wouldn't be the first time he would get arrested while working for the cia yeah he that, would pretty frequently get arrested while working for the cia and what you were talking about with trust a thing that really sparked my interest is the fact that there's so much like distrust and working against each other in the different governmental departments. Yeah. Like we'll talk about the CIA and the DEA, like going against each other. He got arrested 
working for the CIA by U.S. Customs. Like, I mean, look at what happened with Ruby Ridge and Waco. <laughs> Demonetization alarms are going <laughs> off. Uh, both of those realistically were the byproduct. Don't get me wrong. There is a lot of people in the wrong in those situations. Mm -hmm. However, the way that they were handled and the way that the ATF and the FBI felt about who was responsible for Ruby Ridge really did play a large role in what happened at Waco. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people died because two departments couldn't get along with each other. And they yeah. said, no, I'm just going to run a tank into it because two guys who get to stand all the way over there were having a disagreement about it. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it can yeah. be. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Uh, just needed a moment to talk about Waco. So, again, this is another thing that comes directly from Deborah, his wife. Uh, she said her husband became involved in drug smuggling in 1975. Uh, and there's a couple of things that it was smaller operations. But he definitely, yeah, around 75 is when he started smuggling drugs. Yeah. <laughs> One of the big ones uh, in 1979, Barry Seal and Steve Planta were arrested in Honduras. Uh, after arriving from Ecuador with 40 kilos of cocaine. Casual 40K. So that's what? For the rest of the American people out there, uh, upwards over 90 pounds? Mm -hmm. That's a that's a like a Great Dane's worth of cocaine. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing with it, though, that I brought up to you while we were doing Discovery, newspapers reported that $25 million worth of cocaine had been confiscated and the men were charged with having 17 kilos of cocaine. Mm -hmm. Where'd those 23 kilos go? There's 23 kilos of missing cocaine. But that happens all the time with these busts. You yeah. Know? Now, before we get too into <laughs> him... The police department had to buy a new coffee maker. Yeah, a new tank. So they sold the cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, I want to talk a little bit about how physically how Barry managed to get the cocaine into the country. Because mm -hmm. I find that to be technically very impressive. Yes. The guy was a very good pilot. And what he would do is he would, because there are oil rigs off of the... So he's from Louisiana um, and his drug drops started there but eventually the government would pay for him to get a homestead in mena arkansas so he could have an airstrip kind of to himself but for the time being in louisiana he would still come up through louisiana if he's going to arkansas but the oil rigs out there if you flew the plane low enough you could get underneath radar and they would think you were one of the rigs so you wouldn't have to call in and he would then put the autopilot on at a low elevation and start kicking cocaine out the door and have it fall into the swamps and then it, they'd come back and pick it up and that's just incredible mm -hmm. like it's uh, it's a uh, it makes me think of ghost riding the whip it's just so <laughs> impressive that he just okay well we're gonna put because to put that, I'm just trying to explain, I guess, that it's significantly more difficult at that low air pressure to accomplish. Like, to put it in autopilot and pull all that off is yeah. very difficult, especially in a Cessna versus being in a significantly higher elevation where you have better air pressure. So it's incredible. And uh, if, if there are any Rockabilly fans in the crowd, uh, Reverend Horton Heat does have a song about it. It's called Bales of Cocaine. Uh, and it's about how he would kick cocaine out of... You've, I mean, it's become a trope you know, in yeah. pop culture. But Barry's the one who did it. He would put the plane in autopilot and open the door and just start kicking him out the door. It's, I mean, it's a pretty, that's righteous. It's genius. Maybe he was D.B. Cooper. <laughs> um, but for getting charged with $25 million worth of cocaine, 17 kilos, you want to guess how much time he spent in prison? Well, <laughs> I'm going to say he spent about 14 hours in prison. Yeah. So he spent nine months in prison and was released without charge. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Hmm. 
And it's almost like that's just a long enough time to be debriefed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and while he was in prison, Barry met William uh, William Roger, Roger Reeves. Reeves. Yeah. Tongue twister name. Who was also a drug smuggler, um, and he worked for the Ocha family. The Ochoa. Ochoa. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, that's what I mean. So, like, he wasn't he wasn't in jail to do anything other than learn. He's yeah. there to network. He's there to meet everybody. He's just, he did a nine-month internship. Pretty That's much. what he was doing. Um, so the Ochoa's business manager uh, was Reeves. And in 1981, he introduced Seal to Felix Bates. And as a result, Seal became close to the Colombians. And then, after a while, became part of... The cartel. Well, and I've heard the story that at the time he was working for the CIA and they had him investigating Pablo and he was flying over and taking pictures. Mm -hmm. And when Pablo took notice, he got his attention and it was like, you work for me now. Yeah, he was working for both sides. So he started working for the Ochoa. Um, and it's not like those cartels, they're in the same cartel. Pablo and the Ochoas work together. Yeah, uh as of 1981. Yeah, yeah. So in 1981, they started working together, and it. this was just some interesting facts about the cartel. Uh, at the time, it was estimated that the cartel made up to $60 million a month, and uh, its leaders joined the list of the world's richest men. Well, the, yeah, the pure amount of cash has got to just be astounding. Like, you know, you think of uh, the way that De Palma portrays it in Scarface. Yeah. Mountains of cocaine and mountains of money. And it's, you know, there's so much of it that it's like debris. But uh, we'll get into it. But when uh, Barry's house was raided in Mina, he had millions of dollars buried in the yard. He had millions of dollars buried in his walls. And it's because he had so much cash that he just didn't know what to do with it. There yeah. wasn't anywhere to put it. He had nothing he could do with all this money. It reminds what do you me do of... when you have $10 million that no one can know you have? Like, yeah. Well, shit, where do I put it? Uh, you... I guess he wasn't D.B. Cooper because he didn't hang on to the money. Uh, it, it reminds me of the scene in Breaking Bad where they open the, yeah, the, the storage unit and there's and they, just a giant pile of money and they money. lay on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as you said, the CIA starts getting real interested and they start investigating with close interest. One of the things that they noticed was, uh, Leslie Cockburn, he was a CIA agent, said that Felix Rodriguez persuaded the cartel to make $10 million contribution to the conscious. That's what the CIA needed to be like, oh, the cartel is helping, uh, helping grow communism. Yep. We got to take them down. Yeah. And that, that is, will I mean, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but that's where Ollie North will come back in. And that's, yeah, the, the Contra, if to any of you that are listening and those names maybe sound familiar or the term Iran Contra, that scandal, feel free to Google it while we're talking. Cause we're going to get to it in a few minutes and you'll be very well versed. Um, so I want to talk about some of the assets and money that yeah. Barry had. So, like you said, he had way too much money. Yes. Um, by 1982, he was bringing drugs into the United States on behalf of the cartel. And, like you said, he moved his base operations from Louisiana to Mina in Arkansas. Took it was over the, the airport. Took over the airport. He told his friends he once made $1.5 million on a single flight. Dude, I believe it. The amount of cocaine they were bringing in at the time. and uh, There's... The guy shows up in anything that ever talks about cocaine crime. He's in Cocaine Cowboys. He's uh, a character in Narcos. Mm -hmm. If you, anything that has to do with, there's a really fun movie. 
Oh, who's in it? Tom Cruise. Uh, that's about American him. Made. American yeah. Made. That's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, he's a fun pop culture reference because once you get to know him, what an exciting life and an exciting guy. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about some of the planes that he owned, and it also helps corroborate the story that he was working with the CIA, which we know at this point he yeah, was. He was working. We don't know how much and when necessarily that he was working with the CIA, but we know during this period he absolutely was. They paid for the airstrip that the Mia yes. airport. They bought it for him. They did. Uh, so he also got two multi-million dollar. Uh, they're called Beechcraft Air King two hundreds. Um, these aircrafts were purchased by a Phoenix-based corporation that acted as a front um, for the CIA. Phoenix and is a really good city for that. So, it was kind of an umbrella corporation. This umbrella corporation owned Southern Air, which was a CIA proprietary. Um, the CIA proprietary was connected to four interesting individuals. William Casey, uh, Richard Secord, Felix Rodriguez, who, oh. as I stated, is the one that was like, hey, the cartel's paying uh, Cupo. We should take him down. And the fourth being George H.W. Bush. Yeah, there we go. Um, he also owned a Learjet, which had been previously owned by Reggie and Bill Winnington. And the story about how he got that plane is really funny. So the two of them were brothers, Reggie and Bill. He went in a game of Sabak. He did not. <laughs> uh, they were arrested and charged in Florida with importing 400,000 pounds of marijuana. Oh, that's heavy. And also tax evasion of upwards of $73 million. <laughs> so uh, they got caught flying into Florida with all that weed. That's why if you've ever looked at a tax form, that tax evasion law exists. That's how they got Capone, too. And when people are like, well, you know, what are you supposed to You can legally declare illicit money on your taxes. You shouldn't because you're going to get yourself in trouble yeah but you can and that little box right there that little catch 22 <laughs> is how they get drug dealers like this on or, or smugglers or anybody on yeah. tax evasion yeah <laughs> it'd be funny you get tried for like selling drugs but they're like ah but he did file his taxes correctly so <laughs> yeah like if you do your taxes right they're like well we're only going to give you six months because we've never seen anybody check the box before <laughs> we're just happy that someone did it thanks for your tax money um so the learjet was then given to seal and it was registered as being owned by intercontinental holding you want to guess what intercontinental holding was <laughs> it was a cia front they love them man they love them Located in the Cayman Islands. Yeah, well, that makes sense. So all of his planes were given to him. They were confiscated, and they were CIA fronted. They were uh, they were airplanes as a service. He never really owned them. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like it's game... a company car. Yeah, it's a Game Pass. Yeah, yeah. You, you want to hear a crazy company car story? This is also a slight tangent. <laughs> My mother once went out to a, a bar and parked her company car, which at the time was a I believe it was a. My dad can correct me on this, but it was a 1990 Ford Tempo. It was beige, as beige as a car can be. It was as much a company car as one car could be. Yeah. And uh, she left that bar that evening with her keys in someone else's 1990 beige Ford Tempo that her keys worked in. And they reported the car is stolen. The cops showed up at her house, and my mom was like, I didn't steal the car. But went out there and was like, oh, this isn't my car. Oh, this is odd. And then had to go back to the bar, get our car. Yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> anyway, continue. I'm sorry. I hope you enjoyed that story. That, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so... So, in kind of a fit of irony, in 84, Seal was arrested in Louisiana after flying a cargo of, Mar of the Mary Jane, of some <laughs> weed, 
And he paid a $250,000 bond, was released, and, you know, he he sat down. He was like, i got to turn my life. No, I'm just kidding. He went <laughs> right back to drug smuggling. So, well, it's not like he stopped at any point. And, you know, he was also getting into a, a pretty fierce triangle of running drugs. But he wasn't just running drugs for the cartel to the U.S. He was running drugs to the DEA. He was giving everybody a piece. He was running guns. He was yes. doing all kinds of stuff. So uh, the reason he got out with a $250,000 bond is, one, he had $250,000 to pay. Yeah. But... He also provided information that resulted in the U.S. government obtaining 17 criminal convictions. Ooh. Yeah. He went state. He did. And uh, Hop Sicker, the guy who wrote the book, said, Seal told investigators that between March of 1984 and August of 1985, he had made a quarter million dollars smuggling up to 15,000 kilos of cocaine while working for the uh, DEA. I mixed the DEA and the CIA together there. (laughs) Uh, The Department of International Alcohol. Um, And another $575,000 when the DEA let him keep the money from one shipment. That's crazy, man. And just let him have it. Yes. There's just so much dirty money. Again, today's episode, the the word today is brought to you by the letter T for trust. But yeah, it's... Oh, I've never done that before. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's hard to believe that the DEA were told that they're a pious group and that they would never let something like this happen. But we just have these cases get declassified constantly of all the dirty business they mm-hmm. always do. And people wonder why we don't trust them. Yes. <laughs> um, so they let him keep his drug smuggling money. <laughs> while he had come to an agreement with the DEA and the Florida uh, drug task force from that, he was still under investigation in Baton Rouge and in Little Rock uh, because those were his two previous... Well, his current base of operations and his previous base of operations. Yeah. So he's currently under investigation in those. Um, In 1984... This is the type of guy that everybody knew was crooked. They just couldn't catch him. Yeah. Yeah. They just didn't have the means. And when they did, he could buy his way out. In 1984, um, the grand jury in Louisiana was like, all right, let's interview witnesses against him. And he was like, I'm not letting this happen. So he appeared on a television series uh, called Uncle Sam Wants You. Yeah. And it was five consecutive episodes. On local television in Baton Rouge. WBRZ, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah, uh, and it was just him interviewing, denying he was a smuggler, um, saying he was being harassed by the government. Pulling a Han Solo. Yeah, being like, well, I'm not doing this. They're McClunky. being to me. McClunky. <laughs> um, the state uh, narcotics agents were investigated. Uh, they were sued. <laughs> over, or no, they sued the cable company. Yeah, for their depiction. For their depiction. And being yeah. like, we're not harassing this dude. The dude's a drug smuggler. And he's like, I'm not. No, they're teasing me, man. They're always calling me. They call me names. They're always arresting me. <laughs> and try to show once where I've served time. And they're like, fuck, he got us. He got us. I did the nine months. Uh, that's true. Yeah. But nine months with no charge. That's true. He never, he's still not, he's yet to catch a charge. Um, but that might have been, well, it was absolutely the final nail in his coffin, this broadcast. Because, like, 
I'm going to be honest, this guy's pretty cavalier given his situation. And I know it's because he feels very comfortable playing both sides of the coin. He's yeah. like, yeah, I work for the CIA, CIA and the DEA, but I also, you know, I'll run for the Contras. And also I work with the Medellin and Ochoas. And it just, he, he really, really tried to run the Razor. And it was going to catch him sooner or later. Why on earth he would make himself so public? Like, you had to assume... Yeah. And as we'll find out later, he did assume that his days were numbered. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Because bear in mind, this guy didn't make it to 47. So he was, you know, he was not far into his life. He burned the candle at both ends. So the lawsuit uh, of the Baton Rouge investigators were dismissed. So nothing came of that. But after the broadcast, um, the heads of the Florida and Louisiana task force we're like, hey, we need to come to some sort of agreement here because you guys, Florida's like, you guys are coming after this dude. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but why are you working with the dude? Like, <laughs> um, so what they came up with is that they would allow SEAL to continue working with the Florida task force and testify as a witness at trial. Okay. Um, because of that, they agreed his sentence for Louisiana activities would be no greater than the sentence he received for his Florida smuggling, and they would run. Concurrently. concurrently. Like, yeah. concurrently. Um, so, basically, it was a two-for-one charge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is where we get into things catching up to him. Yeah. So, this is when his time starts to run out. Like I said, he... If we jump back in time to the beginning of him working for the cartel, they did not know him as Barry Seal. No. They knew him as an Ellis McKenzie. Good old Ellis McKenzie. Uh, also, great name. Yeah. Especially for a dude with a Louisiana accent. Yeah. Ellis <laughs> McKenzie. The newspaper that came out when he was arrested didn't state his name. Uh, it said that the cartel's Miami distributors were arrested and their pilot was a DEA informant. That's yeah. all it said. So before we get too far into his alias being blown, his cover being blown with the cartel and his ultimate demise, I want to talk a little bit about how he became an informant in the first place. Mm -hmm. So in 81... <sighs> So in 1981, he was arrested uh, in Florida for trying to smuggle in 1,200 pounds of quaaludes. Whoa. Yeah, which is really admirable. Yeah. The, it makes you wonder the connections he made. The people you must meet while smuggling drugs, like the different people you must meet. Because, you know, he went, he's occasionally flying marijuana. He's flying cocaine most of the time. But occasionally quaaludes, like when did that come up? You know, was that like a special order, you think? Also... I thought Quaaludes, like, started literally dying around that time. Yeah. The only, you know, what's funny is I got a biker dad, and uh, so I grew up with an admiration of those Easy Rider magazines. And a lot of them talk about doing Quaaludes. And it comes up a lot in, like, 70s biker culture. And I was always like, what the fuck is a Quaalude? I don't know. I know I'm familiar with drugs. But yeah, they're gone. I think, <laughs> I, I want to say there's, like, maybe a vice thing on it. But I think they exist in South Africa still. Interesting. Yeah, because... Yeah. From what I understood, and my limited understanding is also from, uh, like, Jordan Belford and the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I will not die sober. Uh, where in the 80s, quaaludes were meeting their expiration date and losing their potency and yeah. like, just ceasing to exist because they just didn't work anymore. Yeah, and, and people just found better, different, easier drugs. Yeah. yeah. And things change over time. Quaaludes were never, like, 
you know, they're a, a synthesized drug too. So mm-hmm. it's, man, the demonetization. This is, I know this is 40 minutes in, but whew, we've talked about everything yeah. today. Yeah. Please support our Patreon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he decides that it's in his best interest to go state. He was, <laughs> he was arrested in an operation called Big Screamer or Operation Screamer uh, and 80 pilots. So 79 other pilots were also arrested for similar smuggling. Whew. Yeah. Yep. So it was a re- like we mentioned earlier, smuggling was a relatively common thing, especially of like lower. Well, you know, I, I guess it's not. It's stupid to classify, you know, crimes as more or less illegal. But cigars to me aren't as big of a deal as kilos of cocaine. Yeah. Or kilos of quaaludes, for that matter. Or seven, what was it, 700,000 pounds of weed? Yeah, yeah. So they send him back down. Uh, in 81, they send Barry back to uh, Colombia, and he meets up with the Ochoas and with Escobar. This is when they decide they're all going to work together, and they're going to have Barry fly for him. Mm. Now, <laughs> Barry's flight there and back is harrowing. He goes to take off the first time, and the plane is overloaded, so it crashes out the end of the airstrip. So they get him another plane, and then he flies that plane out successfully, but barely. And as he's flying into Nicaragua, where he needs to stop to get gas, he gets fired upon by the authorities. When he lands, obviously he gets arrested again, gets out of that. What a surprise, mm-hmm. uh, without any real scratches. And from there, continues to be an informant uh, in Nicaragua. He comes back to the U.S. and they decide, okay, well, you're here. What's next? And he goes, well, I should go back down. Pablo, there's a lot of heat on Pablo at this point, and he's trying to liquidate a lot of assets. He's trying to move a lot of product and get it out of Colombia. And they're also trying to move from Colombia to Nicaragua. They're trying Mm -hmm. to move their operations. So he gets a a C123K, which is an air, that's like a, uh, bay door style like airbus yeah like like, the, like a military plane. yeah like the razor crest like you <laughs> put you put trucks inside yep. that bad boy yep that's what it's for and that's because they were going to put trucks of cocaine in this in this plane however he gave it to the dea first and they filled it with cameras so operation goes off without a hitch they land they load it up they get on camera uh I believe just one of the Ochoas, they get Escobar, and they get Nicaraguan military loading cocaine on and off this plane, but they also get Barry. Or, as they knew him, Ellis. Good old Ellis McKenzie. Uh, With that plane, they go, they pick up the drugs, he comes, he lands. DEA decides it'll look too obvious uh, if we just swoop in, grab everybody, it'll be super clear it was Barry, they're going to kill him in an instant. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, they decide that the smartest thing to do, for whatever reason, man, to get back into the trust, this is such a wacky stunt. Like, w- you talk about, like, government cover-up, and it's always, like, Men in Black style, you know, super elusive. I don't think it would be like that. I think it would be like this, because this is a real example. So here's what they do. They take all these drugs, they put it in a Winnebago, <laughs> and they decide, well... The driver works for the cartel, so they're going to send that drug, those drugs off, but those drugs can't make it to the cartel, but we also can't intervene or Barry will get killed. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it in Winnebago, and then we're going to stage an accident where we hit that Winnebago, and the driver has time to escape, and then we take the drugs. And that's what they did. And it's legitimately incredible. The, that's ridiculous. It's incre- I think that's a fantastic... It makes me wonder... I saw a cop car T-bone a guy once going, like, probably 30 miles an hour, and I was too young and dumb to do anything about it because he was like... It's Barry right there. It's Barry. He's the ghost of Barry. 
I was like way too young and dumb to do anything about it. And the cop was like, get the fuck back in your car. And I was like, you got it, man. I'm, I'm out of here. And I wonder, you know, like that, maybe that was some sort of silly sting thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a wild idea to put them in a, in a Winnebago of all things. How breaking bad of them to put yeah. them in a Winnebago and then get in an accident and they get away. Things weren't too bad. It seemed like it was relatively well covered up until, uh, inexplicably the, uh, general Paul Gorman, who was the Southern Command General at the time, decided to announce that they had footage linking the Nicaraguan government to the cartel. That was really bad news for Barry. And it's been said a couple times, different there are differing accounts, of course. The government says they told him ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Barry says, no, they didn't. Uh, Deborah seems to corroborate that he didn't know. Yeah. Um, and it was made significantly worse when a few days later, there was uh, a front page article about what had happened that basically outlined the footage and who was involved. Mm -hmm. And it had a picture of Barry. Yes. And that's when the cartel started to put it all together. Yep. Uh, that because is... they were like, oh, Ellis, you motherfucker. And then they find out, oh, Ellis, Uncle Sam. Sam wants you to know that Ellis isn't Ellis. He's Barry Seal. He's still alive. He's right here. You can come and get him. Could you imagine how Pablo felt? Yeah. Like, oh, I found him. I fucking found him. So, <laughs> like you said, uh, it when... makes you think of that Pablo uh, meme from Narcos where he's, he's standing like at the end of the pool waiting to kill Barry Seal. He's sitting in the in the swing. Well, I guess he wouldn't have seen that though because he was gone before Barry was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a shame. Well, the Ochoas took care of him. Uh, <laughs> so, like you said. Barry was not introduced as Barry to the cartel. Nope. He was uh, introduced as Ellis McKenzie. <laughs> such a such a great name. And when that's a real alias name, it really is. Yeah. Um, when you said the newspaper report came out and the arrests uh, were all made, it mentioned, as you stated, that the pilot was DEA, but it didn't mention his name. No. But what happened? And also didn't say he was CIA, which been would have been more of a tell. Yeah. Yeah. So. The cartel knew he was CIA. They did not know he was DEA. Correct. Um, this is when things start to unravel and things start to catch up to Barry. Yeah, and quick, man. Quick. Oh, very quick. Yeah, his world unraveled real fast. So what happened was... You could say he went into a tailspin. I hope we get a copyright claim for that. So... We will switch over to a man named as Max Mermelstein. Yep. Who was a high-level cartel uh, distributor in Miami. He showed, he got a copy of the documentary that Seal did and showed it to the cartel. And the cartel was like, we want this man dead. That is not Ellis. This is Barry Seal. We now know not only was he working for the CIA, he is also working for the DEA. Yep. He's also a major, major uh, component of multiple people of our... Well, yeah, he was situation. the head of our distribution wing. He knows all of our pilots. He knows all of our routes. He knows... He knows... I mean, we didn't talk about it too much, but he did work flying Sandinistas up. At one point, the Contras were training in his facility yeah. in Mina at the airport. The government was... The CIA was training these soldiers at his house. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're Granted, like... This house was an airport, which is sick, but... This guy's going to take us down. He's already taken a lot of us down. He knows everybody. So they put out a hit on him. They There's pictures of him. There are those pictures from Mexico yeah. with the Ochoas, you know, like he, he's never been shy. So they want him either captured dead or alive. 
Uh, it's half a million dollars if he was dead and a million dollars if he was alive. Mermelstein, they were then like, you want to do it? And he was like, I guess. Um, I mean, I doubt he felt like he had a choice. Yeah, he said yeah. he when he later testified in court, he said that couldn't turn it down because if I refused, I would die. Well, yeah, because you just got asked to murder somebody. So now, you know, a murder's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, after he says yes, he got a phone call from uh, Fabio Ochoa and Pablo Escobar being like, hey, man, thanks for your help. That, uh, that's really sweet. Yeah. Like, it's like getting a, a bouquet of flowers, like an edible arrangement. Thanks for your hard work. And they gave him $100,000 being like, if you incur any costs while doing this, here you go. That's a good per Here's some spending money. Yeah. Um, but before he even had a chance to find out where Seal was, he was arrested by a federal task force in 1985. <laughs> and he was like, hey, if it helps my plea bargain at all, um, they're coming after your dude Barry Seal. There is at least half a million dollars on his head, if not a million. Yeah. Um, Which is, I mean, that's that's a good piece of leverage to have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we switch back over to SEAL. SEAL is appearing now in his second indictment in the Big Screamer operation in Miami. And he had pleaded guilty, but with the support of his DEA supervisors, he was given, surprise, surprise, five years of unsupervised probation. probation. <laughs> That's um, the best kind. Oh, man. <laughs> so he then had to do a testimony in Vegas. He spent a month in Witness Protection well, Center. Yeah, well, because he, he did three. He also implicated a bunch of people. So yes. It, we left this out a little bit, but he did a little bit of undercover work after his time in Nicaragua as well. In the U.S., he helped with three different cases. One that was in Vegas, one was in Florida, and one was in... Uh, was it in Arkansas? It was in Arkansas yeah, as well. Yeah, it was yeah. in Little Rock. Yeah. So basically uh, everywhere he was in trouble and this other job that he was working on that was this shipment um, from Bolivia. Of, it was a shipment of cocaine from Bolivia to Las Vegas. Yeah. He basically... But he was do, a rat the whole time. He would do deals because um, he's like, I'm going to get in trouble eventually in these places or I already have. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do deals to help me get out of it. So he... He reminds me of... if you Have you ever seen The Wire? Yes. Reminds me of Bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he just, knows he's going to get in trouble, so he, but he just, just has some information for you. Um, he spent a month in witness protection, and he got the five years of unsupervised probation. Sick. Uh, and then October of 1985, he returned to court over the first indictment of Big Screamer, which he originally got 10 years for. Whew. Um, but after listening to the summaries of Seal's successful work for the DEA, the judge, uh, Judge Norman Rodiger, sentenced Seal to time served, which was <laughs> a little over three months <laughs> and three years unsupervised probation. Well, partially supervised probation. Okay. Okay. So he went from getting 10 years for one case to a little bit of supervised probation to, and a little bit more of unsupervised probation. To three months in witness protection and three years of kind of supervised probation. That's wild. I mean, that's what happens when you work for the CIA and the DEA your whole life. So this was in Miami. Yep. So then he goes back to Baton Rouge. Yep. Which, in 1985, he appears before a judge. He is found guilty of two drug felony convictions, sentenced to six months supervised probation which and now that florida sentence is going to have to match right wasn't that the deal yeah so whatever they did no that was arkansas 
Okay, so uh, whatever they did in Arkansas, this dude is in match. so much trouble in different places, <laughs> but not really. I know, and he's like wheeling and dealing in every state. So he is uh, guilty of two drug felony convictions, six months supervised probation, and the conditions of the sentence is he has to spend every night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. at the Salvation Army Halfway House uh, on Baton Rouge's Airline Highway Strip. Okay. And the judge was like, "You're not allowed to carry a gun, <laughs> and you're not allowed to have. You're not allowed to hire armed guards." And Barry was like, "They knew I was gonna die." Like, yeah, I mean that. Why can't he hire armed guards? What kind of weird stipulation is that? The dude's was, toast. You know he's toast. He was quoted in saying, "They made me a clay pigeon." Oof, that's yeah. brutal. He's yeah. like, I know I'm getting shot. It's just up to when I get launched into the air. Man. Well, you know, so to skip ahead to that, to his execution, he, I mean, you tell him the story, but he knew it was coming. Yes. So February 19th, 1986, Barry was returning to the hostel at 6 p.m. Um, he was driving a white Cadillac. He pulled up, parked it, and as he parked it, he saw a man carrying a machine gun I wonder if it was the machine gun from the case that the got case him off. Of that guy. Schrodinger's machine gun. If we mention a machine gun in the first act, it appears in the final act. Uh, <laughs> well sees played, Barry. Well, this guy walking towards him, yeah, and he gets shot. Uh, yeah. the dude shoots two bursts, two quick bursts. It hits him in the head and body. And one of Seal's friends was actually waiting for him at the hotel. His name was Russ Eakin. And he said he observed the killing. Uh, he said, I saw Barry get killed from the window of the Belmont Hotel coffee shop. The killers were both out of the car. Hence what I said there. The killers were both. There are two of them. Yeah. One on either side, but I only saw one shoot. Because uh, Barry saw it coming and just put his head down on the steering column. Yeah, man. He knew. He, he knew. knew. He knew. He I knew mean, if he ran then, they'd just get him tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And they were already told, hey, man, there's a half a million dollars for someone to kill you. And yeah. he's like, is there an alive? And they're like, yeah, but it's a million. And he's like, all right, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, he he knew. He At the very least, you know, he kind of lived by the sword and died by the sword. He did. Uh, and lost all his money. He lost all of it. He died in a. How much was on his house. property? Seventy million. Upwards of seventy million. Yeah, yeah. seventy million dollars just buried in cash, in duffel bags, in his walls. Ridiculous amounts. That's so much money, man. It's so. Uh, when I, one of my college where and the podcast anecdote time. Uh, when I was applying to art school, one of the questions in one of the essays was, if a million dollars fell out of the sky into your lap, what would you do with it? You know, like, <laughs> I just did an elaborate calculation on there would be no way for a million dollars to fall out of the sky and Without hit me in the lap you? that wouldn't kill me. I got accepted. <laughs> um, and to kind of wrap out, he, even in his death, he was an informant. Um, Snitching from beyond the grave. So over the next few days, police received information um, that got them to arrest several men for killing Barry. These men included Miguel Velez, Bernardo Vasquez, uh, Luis Quintero Cruz, John Cordona, uh, Eliberto Sanchez, and Jose Renteria. I think he did a good job. Um, there was a seventh guy, Rafa Cordona, um, who managed to escape back to Colombia, but later that year was murdered by the cartel. So he Damn. did something wrong. Yeah, he goofed. 
Um, I I almost wonder if he was supposed to get caught as well. Yeah, like if that wasn't part of the plan. And yeah. because he and didn't because get he caught. Didn't, yeah, maybe that's just when he ran out of options. So uh, Sanchez and Cordona were then um, deported and never appeared in court. Okay. So they probably had some sort of deal. Yeah, definitely. And well, the and part of a big part of the operation to get. Uh, I left this out when I was talking about the undercover work in Nicaragua, but part of the work they were doing is they were trying to get uh, Escobar out of Colombia so that they could extract him. Because in Colombia, there was no way they were getting him out of the country. No extradition? There's no way. The go- he he owns the government. Yeah. Like, there's absolutely... He has m- I mean, more bigger guns. I mean, if one pilot guy had $70 million... Yeah, imagine, imagine the it. money they have. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's just giving him duffel bags as a bonus. Like... There's, there was no way to get any of these guys out of Colombia, and they knew that. Yeah, the U.S. government needed to get them elsewhere so they could try to extract them. That's that's basically Panama is that DMZ for that reason. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, another guy who did not get charged with any crimes was Jose Coutin, who supplied the weapons for the killing. So he gave the shot uh, the machine guns. Schrodinger's. Schrodinger's machine guns. Um, He did not get any time, was not charged with any crime, and instead testified in court against Velez, uh, Quintero Cruz, and Vasquez because, according to Leslie Cockburn, he was a CIA asset. Oh, that's crazy. So Friendly fire was on. I almost wonder if it was not only the cartel tying up loose ends, but if it was also the CIA tying up loose ends. Well, I mean, I think... So depending on how tall the tinfoil hat is, I think they start to the the two circles of the Venn diagram for the CIA and the cartel start to really come together. Yeah. And if you look at what happened with the Contras, and you know, oh, so to get to that, the Ali North was the one who was indicted for the, the Iran Contra, which was illegal. The U.S. illegally selling weapons to Iran to the Contras to do the exact same thing that they were also doing illicitly in South America, mm-hmm. which is how we kind of knew it was for real happening in South America. Before we close out. We, in learning about this story, uh, there's a few different versions, obviously, because of the nature of the story. Um, I will say that while I enjoy American Made as a movie, there are definitely some story discrepancies in there. Caleb, would you like to detail that a little bit further? Yeah, so, first of all, um, Barry is played by Tom Cruise. Which is, I think, fantastic, but he does not look at all like Barry Seal. No, Barry Seal's nickname... From the cartel was the fat man. Yeah. Well, when the plane was overloaded, uh, when he crashed it flying off that strip, the criticism was that he was too fat. Yeah. Yeah. He was. If he was not so fat, it wouldn't have been such a problem. Uh, his wife Deborah in the movie is named Lucy. Yeah. That's that's a that's weird. Yeah. I think it's just kind of protector. Yeah. Know. Um. So in the movie. Um, the part of him working as a commercial airline pilot was true with Transworld Airlines, um, but they get some weird stuff uh, timeline-wise wrong. He well, because in the movie they claim that he didn't start working for the CIA until after he was a commercial pilot. Yeah, so in American Made, uh, they said that Barry got bored with piloting commercial flights, and it caused him to perform stunts that made the air like oxygen masks fall and frighten passengers. And that's what that got the CIA to get interest in him. He was already working for him. Yeah, he had been working for him since he was a teenager. There's uh, pictures of him with the Ochoas in Mexico years before that. He 
in the movie it says he resigned as a TWA pilot to carry out covert operations. Again, one no, he was fired. Yeah, he got fired for uh, they caught him taking out illegal sick days to be yes. a smuggler, and um, <laughs> he didn't have an appropriate doctor's note. His so got this prescription for well. cocaine. For the C4. Oh, well, yeah, that's a real good way to get fired as a commercial pilot, especially then. Um, Monty <laughs> Schaefer in the movie, uh, it's Domhnall Gleeson's character. Uh, his with, handler. Yeah, his handler. Not a real person. Yeah. Um, it was kind of an amalgamation of different CIA. I can see why they would want to do that, though, because, like, this dude was such a handful. Yeah. It's fun to have, like, a, a like an audience insert as, like, how would you react to this constantly being a foil? And, uh, yeah, no, um, he did meet Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> yeah, he did actually know him. And by all accounts, very well likely could have been involved in JFK's assassination, which is interesting. I still wonder that here we go. We can close on conspiracy hour. Uh, it, why was he flying a plane out of Dallas that day? Let's entertain this. Let's say yeah. he was buddies with Lee Harvey Oswald. He was in on the assassination. Was it LBJ? Who? No, because LBJ was still there. So who was on the plane? Who was he by himself? You know, I, was was Lee Harvey Oswald supposed to be on the plane with him and he didn't make it? I feel like that's what it was supposed to be. Okay. Um, I feel like the plane took off empty, but I feel like he was supposed to take off with Lee Harvey Oswald. I feel like. Uh, I wonder, this is macabre, but I wonder if you could have made that shot from a low-flying plane. Mm, or was he the I second shooter? Was he the one on the grassy knoll? This no, is like this is was, like James <laughs> Dean's Nazi mechanic all over again, except that, I'm sure somebody's talked about this. That was uh, number five from Umbrella Corporation. <laughs> their Umbrella Academy. Yeah, from Umbrella Academy. No, I mean, in all fairness, I mean, if there, let's entertain the... That we entertain conspiracy theories yeah. here, so entertain that there were two shooters. The magic bullet theory, if there were two shooters, it could have been him. He could have been the other one taking the shot. He obviously didn't really have any qualms about that, but he's... But he never had a history of Yeah, he's before. like a little fat pilot boy. Yeah. He's not really like tough army man. He wasn't He wasn't the Indiana Jones. He was uh, the guy at the beginning of the movie that gets killed by the spike. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't think of his name right I can't now. either, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I don't think, I think he was supposed to be a getaway. I don't think he was instrumental in the assassination. What if he was supposed to be a patsy, but because of the things he was like, they're like, we'll have him take off. It'll be no big deal. We finally get to lock him up and we don't have to talk to him anymore. And then it didn't work. And they're like, shit. <laughs> uh, I like to think that there's so many things that you look back in history in that time period and you see a plan and it's like, I bet he was in that fucking plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, something happened. Was there a plane? Was it Barry Seal? Yeah. Probably. Will somebody go back and see if they can find any aerial footage? We should see if we can find aerial footage from Dallas from that day in 62. Uh, the big other discrepancy from the movie to reality, a really weird one, I guess it's just for timeline and storytelling reasons. They said he only had one wife, Lucy, and they had three kids. He was married three times and yeah. he had five kids. Yeah, yeah. Which is one of those weird things when you do a movie about a real person. Why Why change it? Yeah, what difference does it make? Yeah. yeah. So what, he was married two more times and had two more kids. Like, what I mean, is that? I think the movie probably tries to get across the point maybe that he was a little um, cooler, a little more sly. You know, because, yeah. like, <laughs> it's different. I don't know. It's, it's different to, like, lie to your family if... You, otherwise you're not doing anything my dad has always told me to only ever do one illegal thing at a time otherwise things get too complicated and i you know and that just means like you know 
any not necessarily literally illegal, but yeah. it just feels like if he was as a storytelling device, if he is effectively, you know, like he's lying to his wife, it you're more compassionate for him if he's lying to his wife and he doesn't have two ex-wives also. Yeah. Because then you're like, oh, well, there's been a chain of misfires here. Yeah, dude's <laughs> yeah. not a good guy. Yeah, he 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 knew what he was in for. And it seemed like he really enjoyed what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, And I mean, to that end, who can blame him? It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And if you are going to go for it, I mean, go for it with the momentum that he did. You know, like, <laughs> look at all the people he knew and met. Dude didn't even make it to 50 years old. He was yeah. shot to death by 46, but he was assassinated after losing his fortune. You know what I mean? Just like, what a wild ride he had. He definitely made the most of the time he had. It's crazy. Like, I hope I hope that we get more declassified uh stories like this not necessarily to be like boo-boo government but just so we can know these are like our folk heroes and now this guy you know there's i'm not by any means defending what he was doing that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying that in the greater lore of life these days it's interesting to kind of have these um i think more uh or i should say less traditional heroes Mm -hmm. you know like it's an interesting thing to have this gallery of anti-heroes and i don't think we have to look at them necessarily as the worst people but this dude he liked what he was doing for sure he lived that lifestyle i also want to his sideburns yeah his sideburns i want to end it out with his actual name uh barry seal it's Adler Berryman Seal. Berryman? Berryman. Come come the Berryman. (laughs) B-E-R-R-I-M-A-N. Berryman. I would imagine that's... uh, That sounds like somebody who's... Like as a vendor of strawberries. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the Berryman? Have you seen the Adler Berryman? (laughs) Yeah. The Adler Berryman sounds like a monster we're going to do another episode on. (laughs) It's like a bog monster. Yeah. Weird cranberry bog. (laughs) The Adler. Dude, once we find that cranberry bog, we're going to be millionaires, man. (laughs) It's just a lake full of cranberries. That's awesome. (laughs) They're so expensive. (laughs) All right. Well, that's the story of Barry Seal uh, and his wild escapades. And the way that that sort of frames our distrust of the government uh, because they get up to wild shit and they lie to us about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they, they spend our tax money on it. We don't do anything wrong. We're doing a lot of stuff wrong. Actively funding coups. So keep that in your mind as you're looking at Venezuelan headlines and things like that. And uh, otherwise, hope you enjoyed the show. Yeah. Hope you enjoy your week until we do this again. Uh, and we'll see you then. Bye, Bye everybody. Guys. Yeah.